Hello and welcome to the Dungeon Masters Guildhouse. Uh, this is your um, this is your weekly podcast. Uh, no, this is my weekly podcast where I, your host Matthew Whitby, sit down with people all across the tabletop RPG and and surrounding space. And this week, I'm joined by dare I say, the the legend themselves, Chris Bissett. Hello. Hi. I don't know about legend, but well, think... you know, in, in everything's relative terms. Yeah. I think you know you what? Know. I'm having a shit day today, so I'll take legend. Yeah. I'll take that. Nice. <laughs> well, well, hopefully, you know, over the course of the hour, we can, we can. I, I don't know. I was going to say poke you up, but I don't know. I don't know if I was like, you know, what I really need right now a podcast. I just need to it's chat. Fine. For an hour. It's on the up. I've put a huge amount of caffeine into me about 15 minutes ago, and it's it's going to be it's going to be better. Yeah. It's, it's it's either that or it's going to be a huge crash afterwards. But that's, <laughs> we've we've flipped. There's always, there's always more caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> we flip the coin and we'll we'll see which way it lands. Um. Well. For the people listening, um, who perchance maybe they haven't heard heard of you, um, what what are, what are some of the things that you've been? Uh, I was about to say throwing out into the world, but that seems more kind of like nonchalant. No, that's accurate. That's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> um, what am I known for? Probably, God, I'm a very good podcast guest. I don't even know things about myself. Um, probably best known for the Wretched, which is my solo journaling RPG that I released about this time last year when i was very it was locked down and we'll just we'll leave it at that yeah, <laughs> and i yeah. wrote a game about dying alone in space that resonated with a lot of people for reasons and uh that's probably what i'm best known for and i've just done a kickstarter for a Merkborg adventure called treasures of the troll king that went really well um people may have heard of that as well and i guess with this being the dm's guild house people may know me from back in the day on the dm's guild as well i don't yeah. really I don't really do much stuff there anymore, but it's all still available. So, so you may have picked up Breaker of Chains or Bullet Storm at some point. So I, I guess kind of the first question. So prior to um, uh, kind of the Wretched event, uh, how how long ago did you start like putting together like tabletop RPG content? So uh, I guess like professionally and publicly, yeah. I started in 2016 um, when I started my website, Loot the Room, and I started doing DMs Guild stuff. Um, but I've been doing it for jesus the first time i ever tried to sell anything was when i was 18 which was 17 years ago uh i used to go around like dragging me and conventions in the uk with little zines that i'd made in my room at uni um trying to flog them to people but not in any official capacity because i couldn't actually afford to get into dragon me and i definitely couldn't afford to be an exhibitor so i used to just lurk outside on the pavement being like do you want to buy a zine <laughs> nobody did <laughs> I was going to say, in terms of like that, that I feel like that, that that should somewhat make it like a, a resurgence in like conventions. Just like I got trench coat, bunch of like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like like the guys at the end of a, a gig on the pavement selling dodgy t-shirts. I, oh, was, yeah. I was that guy, but I had acne and and, <laughs> and, and, and RPG games and dodgy elf books. <laughs> um, and like the late nineties, I used to send stuff to Dragon Magazine, but I was a kid and they didn't buy any of it, so. Since 2016. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we'll, we'll glaze over that. Really. Yeah. No, sordid history. <laughs> so, so then I guess, was it, I guess, yeah. So it's it's kind of been uh, kind of putting together and, and kind of creating tabletop RPG content has kind of been like a big chunk of your life. And it's, that, does that, I don't know, that's, that's not too much of an assumption to say or just no, like. No, it's accurate. Yeah. Like I started playing tabletop games in the uh, 1994 and like i've always i've always known since i was a kid that i wanted to be a writer mm -hmm. so like i've always written fiction and i've always tried to 
make a career at fiction and not done particularly well even though I, I think I'm quite a good fiction writer but editors don't want to buy my stuff <laughs> so whatever um, um but you know I was always playing tabletop games at the same time and you just you know you are, you end up writing for what you do don't you so yeah so I've always been writing tabletop stuff and it's it's the past few years that I've kind of really focused on it and said you know what I can do this I can make a living out of this and uh it's going okay. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the I guess the, the the problem with I suppose the fiction market is is it is it is exceedingly kind of saturated, and I think that that trend has only kind of gotten worse over the time. Yeah, um, and part of it is like the the good magazines, like especially in sci-fi and spec fic, like your Asimov's and your Clark's Worlds and things like that. Every time you submit a story, they only buy what Clark's World buy twelve stories a year. Yeah, and every time you submit a story, you're competing against the best writers in the world. You know. It's just yeah. how it is. So, and, and in fact, you can, I, I don't know, I can somewhat see like a, a similar trend within the like uh, tabletop RPG community because I don't want to call it like a resurgence because that feels like ignorant. Um, to say, but there, there just feels like there's so much more eyes in this, and I don't know whether this yeah. is a bias now that I'm more involved in like the, the community now that I'm seeing it more, but it just seems like there's there's so many new avenues that there weren't necessarily. But yeah, like five years ago, it's way more popular. It's like it's the most popular it's ever been at the moment. And I think with so like with fiction, there was always when I was trying to make a a career in fiction, there was always quite a big stigma against self publishing, um, which I think has gone away now or is going away. But that's never been the case with role playing games. You know, there's a very long history of zines and like fanzines and self-published stuff i mean D D originally was self-published wasn't it so yeah. that is in the history of the hobby and i think the past few years as well as things like you know your critical roles and your fifth edition raising the profile globally you've also got much easier access to printing through things like mixum yeah. and much easier access to distribution like it's you know anyone can put up a blog yeah and publish stuff and, and so like I, the I think kind of, gates yeah I, I think that is like the the kind of um distribution of, of pdfs yeah uh it's it's and before it was a case of like other people are like oh I, I don't want to just buy like a just buy a pdf but now it's a case of like oh yeah dude pdf that's kind of all i need yeah. you know no one and i mean i still don't really buy anything that i can't get in print because i really struggle to read off screens oh yeah and you know <laughs> My ADHD is awful, so if I don't physically have something in front of me, it might as well not exist. So, I mean, also no. there, there is something to say about like you know a tangible, a tangible book, and particularly yeah. when it comes to like, especially again, especially with your own writing. Um, oh, so nice, when just, you see just stuff in yeah, print. just holding that stuff. It's like it's I don't know. It's it's a case of like this. This it just feels good. You can't. Yeah, I don't know what it is about print that lends a sense of like legitimacy to things. I'm not saying that things that aren't in print are not legitimate. No, no. don't at me. Just, you no, know, I, I think it there's a makes sense, sense of it. It's it's because even though it, like you can't hold a PDF, you know it. It takes up digital space, but something physical, tangible. You're like, this is yeah. I could this this goes on a bookshelf. I can I can hold it. I can show this to my parents as they look. Be proud of me now. I'm not. I'm I'm, I'm not afraid. Look look look. That's at a me. big part of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's like a, a layover of you know just just the way the way things kind of were were in were in the past. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Um, but then so one thing that's kind of fascinated me about some of your uh, like standalone games in particular is is I guess your use of 
I, I, I don't know like if mechanics would be the right way to, to, to phrase it, but the wretched kind of used, used can I say Jenga? You can say T Jenga, yeah. Tum tum I don't know if it's case like tumbling tower or like what? Yeah, I think uh, Jenga is the, the Hasbro version, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I mean. yeah. That's... I, I would like people to keep calling it Jenga because then you get into a Velcro sellotape situation with a <laughs> trademark. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it hurts yeah. Hasbro is fine by me. But but I mean, it's such a, such a, like an in innovative way to kind of look at I'd be like an existing game. And to give it kind of like both flavor and additional kind of mechanical support to kind of shape the whole kind of meaning meaning behind it. I mean, how, how I guess with with the wretched in particular, was was the Jenga like tower in there from the start, or was it more? Of... No. Um, so the original pitch for the wretched, which was like what I told myself I wanted to write, was I wanted to write a game that felt like listening to a John Carpenter soundtrack because I'd just been on a big John Carpenter binge and I've been watching like The Thing and Escape from New York and yeah. the whole Apocalypse trilogy. And I wanted something that felt visceral and tense. And then I started writing the game about being trapped alone on a spaceship. And I knew it was going to be a solo journaling game because I wanted the audio logs because I'd just watched The Thing. And at some point, Kurt Russell talks into a microphone and I was like, there's a game in that. Yeah. Um, and I wanted something to create a sense of both rising tension and a sense of inevitability. Like I wanted you to, even without the rules explicitly saying you are going to die, I wanted you to know that that was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I'd played a lot of Dread and I'd played a lot of Starcrossed and they both use Jenga towers. Mm -hmm. And just like a lot of people during the Wretched Jam came up with ways to simulate the probability of a Jenga tower through dice and other mechanics. Nothing matches the feeling when you try and grab a block from a Jenga tower and it wobbles and you get that feeling you go <laughs> like, can I swear on this? No, dude, good, good enough. Yeah. Yeah. You get that, oh, fuck, it's about to fall down. It's game over. Oh, no. And then yeah. it stops and it, it wobbles and it goes still and it hasn't fallen and you get that relief washes over you. And like, Probably, I've come up with ways to replicate something like that with dice, but just stacking up a Jenga tower and going, Cool, go for it. Yeah. So visceral. Um, I, I, it's also it like perfect. almost like it's like a staggering feeling because once you've kind of hit that first moment of like you've seen it wobble, every like further piece is yeah. like, Well, I now know that there there is a high chance. Yeah, it's hmm. yeah, like it's um. What's the line from Alien? Game over, man. Game, Game over. <laughs> like you know it's coming. <laughs> like, but you know, I think I think again, especially for like the sort of tone that you were kind of going for. It's I don't know. It, yeah, it's it, it it's just it feels like that kind of perfect. Um, the mechanics is the message in a way. Yeah. That that it, it was, kind of. Um, I got very lucky that the mechanics perfectly matched the theme, which also perfectly matched the way everybody was feeling at the time. Yeah. Yes. So would you say that this was like, I don't know, like, uh, I guess, uh, I was about to say, I don't know, I, just, I think I was just about to try and uh, segue or uh, like crowbar the term zeitgeist into the, but but it's well, like, I don't know, the, like the right place, right time. Yeah, 100%. It was, it was lightning in the bottle. Um, the last year, solo games in particular have had a really big, I don't want to say resurgence because that makes it sound like they were popular before and hmm. then fell away. Solo games have become really popular for obvious reasons. Like people have been sat 
on their own yeah. around the world in the houses with very little to do for a lot of people. Um, and I think I happened to write a solo game that was thematically relevant to what a lot of people were feeling yeah. at a time when solo games were beginning to gather some momentum and I just got caught up in the wave of that and I'm very, very lucky I, I th- um, that I that gonna, happened. No, I was going to say, one thing I kind of love about it though is the fact that even though you kind of define it as like lightning kind of being caught in a bowl is the fact that you kind of pushed it forward into turn around like Wretched Jam and to be like, not not only is, you know, I've have I created this kind of thing, but you invite people to kind of, I don't know, get involved and kind of uh, sh- share in the kind of positive way that you had going. Yeah, I I can't take all the credit for that. That was um, my good friend, Matt Sanders, who I've worked with a lot. Yeah. Um, we have like an a ongoing Twitter message that I think we've spoken to each other every day for about the past four years <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Um, and we're whatever one of us is working on, the other one is looking at and getting sent, you know, is this anything? How's this, et cetera. So when I was writing The Wretched, I was showing bits of it to Matt and um, he had an, a game that he'd been wanting to write for a while, which turned into the sealed library. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said to me, you know, this whole, the wretched framework is perfect for this game that I want to write. Do you mind if I steal it off you? And I was like, go for it, whatever. And then he said that he'd been in order to write a wretched and alone game as they became as we started to call them mm-hmm. he'd had to basically create an srd for himself to figure out how the system worked um and then he said well we've got this document why don't we publish it and then he said why don't we also do a game jam so i can take very little credit <laughs> for the wretched jam and for the srd that was all matt pushing me being like this is really cool i want to use it if i want to use it other people are going to want to use it let's let that happen um and he deserves basically 97 percent of the credit for that <laughs> but i guess so i do do you know if we had had like how many actually games got submitted for a wretched game jam a wretched wretched jam, jam i think we got 96 submissions That's so many um, games yeah so many games and i think there's a, i think there's over 130 now the fact that people are still making them is a year later it astonishes me it completely blows my mind um and it's to the point now where people, I will see on Twitter, people will ask for solo game recommendations and people will recommend eight Wretched and Alone games and not one of them is a game that I wrote. And on the one hand, that sucks. <laughs> 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 on the one hand, I'm like, but me, yeah. validate me. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, it's really cool because there's so many games that got made with that framework. It's a very, very easy system to write for. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got so many people making games for it who had never made a game before. Um, and that's something I'm really proud of that like people saw it and went, yeah, I could write something for that. And it wasn't, I'm really invested in getting more people making games. Yeah. And the fact that somehow we achieved that makes me really, is something I'm really proud of. And so I guess to kind of, uh, to kind of bounce off that, uh, slightly away from the rector slightly and talking about just, you know, working with kind of systems. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like, um, You've taken a liking to the the mock 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 mock, yeah. <laughs> which is the best again the best thing to say. I think they 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 nailed it with like the, what are we going to call the system, mock mock, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I guess to say, what, what have you kind of like in in your journey of like, okay, well, not only have you created your own, essentially your own SRD, you've obviously, again, obviously working with the DM skill before and, and Morkbog now. How do you, yeah, how do, how do you find the Morkbog SRD? Um, it, they don't really have an SRD as such, but it's such a rules light system mm-hmm. that you don't really need one, to be honest. You know, in the same way that like, I don't know how many people look at the obviously fifth edition is much more complex than Mugbug, but I don't know how many people writing on the DMs Guild ever look at the SRD because you just you just write something for the game that you're playing. Yeah. You know, you, you sort of know it works. Um the license for Mugbug is great because it literally just says, you know, just say that you are not affiliated with us and you can do what you want. Nice. Um and it's another like the community around Mugbug is great and so I had already decided at the beginning of this year that I wanted to write more content for systems rather than systems themselves. I spent mm-hmm. most of last year writing new games and I wanted to get back to writing like adventures and classes and things like that. So I, I'm so curious then, was it, was it more the case of like you just, yeah, was it the case that you just kind of wanted to just kind of focus more on the, the writing side of things or is it a case of like I've satisfied my mechanical side that... Um, a little of both and also that like the more i the more games i learn and play and get into the more i take a step back and i'm like do we need more games i mean i'm not saying don't make more games because i'm going to continue to write original games but i would i think we talk a lot about how to make indie rpgs thrive Mm -hmm. and i think one of the ways to do that is to support them with additional content yeah um, and so I wanted to start doing that anyway. And then the Mugbug third party license came out and I was like, cool, this is a, I really like the game. I really like the aesthetic. Why don't I write something for it? Yeah. And yeah, the community is great as well. And they've done that thing as well, where there are a lot of people within the Mugbug community writing things for the first time. And I think that's, especially with a more traditional game like Mugbug, I think it's really important that people get like cut their design teeth on a game that isn't D and D. It's just amazing. Yeah, because I think it definitely helps. It's the case of um, just being able to kind of, I guess, diversify your understanding of of, of tabletop games. Mm-hmm. And because even if you are just like you know, you do kind of want to return to. Uh, well, I mean, you yourself have recently released a D and D adventure and stuff like that. Yes. Coming at it with again a new perspective of what other games have done and the you know it, it it's diversity you know it kind of in in most senses as a fact it can only kind of improve to kind of have as many different kind of perspectives on things yeah um, like the wretched wouldn't exist if i hadn't played dread if i hadn't played um the quiet year mm-hmm. um if i hadn't got into a lot of solo journaling games like um james chips the adventurer um yeah if i hadn't been playing those other games, I would never have written yeah. that game. You know, it's it's just one of those things like you art is always a conversation with both like what's going on in the world and with other art. Yeah. You can't you can't I don't believe you can fully engage in that conversation if you don't expose yourself to other parts of it. 
so so the pretentious thing I've ever no, said. No, 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 I'm, I'm, no, 100% with you. I, like, I, I guess it's the case of like, yeah, they're kind of, I mean, you again, if your understanding of a topic is is literally only kind of through one lens, then any kind of conversation you have will be just a little, you know, stunted. Um, like you see a lot of people, especially people who've got into games in the past couple of years, they've only ever played fifth edition mm -hmm. and they've got this idea of a game they want to play. And their only frame of reference is to hack fifth edition to do it. Yeah. And obviously, wizards encourage people to be like, yeah, D&D can do anything. Yeah. And to an extent, it can. There becomes a point after you've hacked away so much of it that you're not playing fifth edition anymore. At which oh, point, yeah. Why not find one of the hundreds of indie games that does what you're trying to do? Mm. Like, if you want to run heists and you know you want to be thieves going on ho doing horrible crimes yeah. play blades in the dark you don't need to hack fifth edition to do it no it's i yeah i understand again that the, you can you can the idea of like like the the dnd at least fifth edition stealth system is essentially like oh you've rolled a 20 stealth you you're not seeing now that's to succeed yeah uh and yeah there, and you can be like okay then let's add like a complex kind of you know three-tiered like i don't know like stealth system yeah. of like no just yeah other games yeah. They, they kind of have have the kind of built in of i i fully get the desire to hack dnd because i've been doing it since second edition hmm. so i fully get the desire to do it and i absolutely get people when people say oh i don't have the time to learn a new game that's because dnd has taught you you don't have the time to learn a new <laughs> game you know and i get that you might have invested like thousands of pounds into your dnd books because what you can't see behind yeah. me down here are the thousands of pounds worth of dnd books i've collected over the past 20 odd years so yeah, i totally I get it the the wizards of the coast they've definitely somehow um they've uh, the sunk cost fallacy is they've they've kind of invested it within their model <laughs> well and you know fair play yeah yeah um you know what i shit on dnd a lot i like fifth edition yeah. fifth edition brought me back to the hobby but it's not just play other games just play one other thing. no i mean I, no that's exactly the same i mean like you know i i i um i i think i'm in in a similar boat of like where i come from um like geez, there's no way to say as 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 a, a games academic which is the most <laughs> pretentious combination of words um of like oh yeah no i study video games it's like yeah most people play them so i don't know um <laughs> um uh, I think I was kind of uh, I benefited a good amount from from coming from um, other games before kind of getting fully invested within kind of kind of D and D, um, and and yeah, I, you know I like the system. I, I I run it and stuff like that. But it's kind of nice to go. You know what? Sometimes sometimes let's go for like a little little different. It's, you know, um, sometimes I want to play Honey Heist. Yeah. yeah. So. To, to kind of bring it around to an earlier point then so this year you kind of want to focus on on uh, creating content for, for other systems then yes um how have you... sorry go on and i was gonna say how have you kind of found that kind of you know that process of, of finding <laughs> systems to write content for i haven't had much chance to this year um i've had much less time to do creative work this year mm -hmm. than i did last year because like i was never furloughed or anything but my workload at work died last year so I had a lot of time to sit at my desk on the clock and write things. And this yeah. year it's been back to normal. So I haven't had much chance to write things, which I hate. And my last Patreon game, I was doing a game every month for Patreon. Yeah. And in January, I started writing a game called Dice Souls, which was 
inspired by me finally getting good at Dark Souls. Well, you can, you can do that. I thought people just tell you perpetually to get good, no, and you yeah, never do. I got good at it, and well. then I, I got good at it, and then I got bored of it. <laughs> it wasn't a challenge anymore. Yeah, I, I got too good. Yeah, I got too good. And so I wrote a tabletop. I started to write a tabletop game based on it, and then I had to go. I had three weeks off in January, and then I had to go back to work, and I still mm-hmm. haven't finished writing Dice Souls. So, I, I my I dreams suppose... of doing lots of content have died. But I want to get back to it. I yeah. want to do some Brindle Wood Bay stuff. I want to do more Morph Borg stuff. I might even do some more Fifth Edition stuff. Yeah. I was going to say, it, I suppose that kind of lends itself because, like, I mean, it, go, it somewhat goes without saying that developing a, a tabletop RPG game is it's probably more work than necessarily writing for an existing system. It's, it can be. It's yeah. a different kind of work. Because I, I, um, I think, I guess, the the kind of, obviously, uh, the scope of the game can change significantly and stuff like that. But yeah. with with at least with working with existing systems you still kind of have this uh, you have the foundations like at bare minimum the game works it's, yeah. it's an existing game i know whereas if you're making your own game you, you you're just like is this fun yeah i don't know if it, like I, until i'm like someone's playing it i don't know if it's fun or if it kind of like people can understand the system um absolutely yeah it's it can be really tough um especially when you're doing them for some reason monthly where like, i'm gonna write an entirely new game every yeah. single month um you don't have time to play test them but you just gotta hope i i, I like that i'm a huge um as i say proprietor i don't know if that's why um i i really support the idea of design challenges like yes. ga- game jams um like weekly like design exercises um or like monthly monthly games um because i think a combination of um like constrained and almost forced creativity yeah um can, can be good to kind of i don't know keep keep you, you keep keep the burnout 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 away i don't know keep it at bay just yeah, keep, keep it at bay. further yeah. into the future i feel yeah. like it, it's like the the equivalent of like eating an apple a day keep the dentist away where yeah. you realistically <laughs> there's more stuff you need to do but yeah. On the surface level, it sounds like a good way to live. <laughs> yeah, it works really well for me because, um, like, like I said, my ADHD, I need to constantly have new things, basically. I need yeah. a constant dopamine hit or I can't function. So having a very short development window and a very specific task and being like, nailed it, nailed it, nailed it, nailed it. Yeah. It's the only way I can function. The second I push a deadline back six months, like I have done with Dice Souls, I just stop. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a case of like the, the 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 guillotine is no longer looming overhead, so you're just like, oh, yes. I'm I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. So I need to set artificial deadlines for myself that I then completely ignore until they're right on top of me. <laughs> so I, I guess so an, an interesting kind of dynamic of just having like a design challenge kind of self-imposed. But how how do you find kind of navigating that with the with Patreon and knowing that there are patrons on on it's the kind been, of really freeing um i tried patreon once before mm-hmm. when i was doing loot the room yeah and i had it on i had so patreon's got two settings you've got you can people can pay monthly or they can pay per thing mm-hmm. and i originally had it for the blog and it was pay monthly and that was so much stress and pressure to put something out constantly mm-hmm. because i didn't want people to be paying for things and not getting them yeah um and when i started it up last year it was very much with the mindset that Patreon's not going to be, I'm not making things for Patreon. It's the, for people to pay me if they want for the things I'm already doing. Yeah. So I got it set to per thing. 
with the idea that I would potentially release a, at most I would put out a game a month. Mm -hmm. And I managed to stick to that for about six months until I had to go back to work. Which um, I, I, I get six, six games, six months is, is, is pretty like good, good pace. Yeah. I was quite happy with it. The problem I have is like, like you said, scope creep. Mm -hmm. I'm incapable, like people like um, Ursa Dice, who um, I'm a patron of, who writes a one page or two page game every month. Uh, and does them really well. Yeah, consistently puts out a game a month, every month. Um, and like someone like Adam Vass, again, really good at putting out. Has been doing. I think just has just hit their four year anniversary on Patreon of a game wow. a month, every month for four years. Um, but they are both very good at keeping it within scope, and I haven't learned that skill yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I must admit, like I think, like on paper, if you're just like, okay, I'm going to make a um, a game in a month, I'm like, okay, that sounds good. What's the fact? Yeah. I'm going to base it off Dark Souls. I'm like, okay, that gets gets a little bit bigger. <laughs> yeah, uh, I definitely bit off more. Than, like the annoying thing with Dice Souls is that this, the core system is there, and I put out a quick start, and people are playing it. Uh, ironically, what's holding me up is writing actual content for it. Yeah. Um, the irony that I want to pivot away from making games to making <laughs> content, and I've got the game and I haven't managed to write the content yet, is what? lost on me. <laughs> I, I listen, you know, it, it, it's it, it's always different in the case of like, oh, it's I'm, I'm supporting other people's systems. You know, that that takes the priority. I, my answer, it's fine. It doesn't. I you know, I I can add to that whenever. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it'll get done. It'll get done. I've given myself to the end of June, so I've got another week to get it finished. Nice. <laughs> so then, I guess to uh, I guess to kind of I, well, okay. So if we were to take starting in, if you were to continue doing a, a game a month, mm -hmm. come come July, it, yes. it, you you've got you've got a game that you need to create. Where, where do your ideas come from? Where where, where do they start? Oof, that's a big question. Um, honestly. It, varies from project to project mm -hmm. so like the wretched was like i want to write a game that feels like playing a john carpenter soundtrack yeah um the hunted which was a patron game i put out end of last year was a combination of i've been what i really love folk horror so i've been watching a lot of folk horror stuff like blair witch project and the ritual and apostle and things like that and um i'd played um escape from dino island which is a PBTA game where you basically play Jurassic Park. Yep. And it's got this really cool move in it called tell a story where anytime, anytime you make one of your moves, you tell a story and that informs the fiction of the world. Mm -hmm. And I read it and it like just that one mechanic made me go, how can we use that? How can I steal that and do something interesting with it? And that yeah. like smash itself together in my head with folk horror which is all about storytelling and mm -hmm. like what's scary about a monster is the stories we tell about it right so that became a then yeah the like the genesis of that game was literally reading another game and going mm -hmm. i want to use that mechanic to do this thing that it wasn't designed to do how can we do that and then the game that i'm supposed to be writing after dice souls is called furlock homes <laughs> and uh that's all i know about it all i know about <laughs> That it's called Fairlock Holmes. <laughs> I mean, no, but I mean, interesting because I think you you touched like a really kind of interesting point though. Because like the, again, the the question is is you can definitely tackle like a design idea from a thousand different ways, but mm -hmm. I think the way in which you you reach the idea um, can really kind of inform or shape design. 
Yeah. So it was a case of like with the John Carpenter thing, you're like, okay, I have this, I have this uh, emotion or like this feeling I want to try and encapsulate in a game. And that way you're kind of working with the emotion at the core of the experience. Yeah. With the uh, tell a story thing, it's a case of like, well, I, there's this cool mechanic. What can, yeah. what can I sort of do with it? And it, you kind of then reverse engineer the mechanic into like what sort of thematic dressing. And yes. sometimes it's a pun. <laughs> exactly. So like the challenge with Dice Souls was like, okay, I want to replicate Dark Souls on the tabletop. What's unique about Dark Souls? Well, what the key to Dark Souls is that you, you die and retry over yeah. and over again and you, you get good. So what is, what is hard eventually becomes easier and easier as you mm -hmm. learn it. And other people have tried to recreate this on tabletop. Um, Deep Anyways, um, Beyond the Rift does mm -hmm. this in sort of like a Metroidvania kind of way. But the way D does it is they say, cool, you failed. Tell us how you succeed the next time, and then we skip past it. And I explicitly wanted the experience of knowing this game is going to make you get good. Like, I'm going to make you beat your head against the same experience over and over again. So how do we make that fun and not boring and repetitive on the tabletop? And so Dude. I had to build a system to do that. Was it, was it a case of, like, I imagine like on, like, a surface level that some of it is trying to get get around the probability? Because, again, the, the if, if, if it dice holds, I imagine that, that there was probably one or two dice. Um, there are many dice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, uh, dude, this is top tier journalism right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, so I mean, like, so how how did you kind of like think of a case of like you you want them to get good, but chance if chance is a factor, you sometimes it... yeah. So, God, this is where I realized I can't remember how the <laughs> game works. Um, the basic conceit is that every enemy has a what's called a retry score um every time you fight them and fail that score gets lowered and so they become easier to defeat yeah until eventually that score hits zero and at that point you can just narrate your way past them mm -hmm. um and then and only the the mate like it's a two-player game you've got one gm and one player yeah and only the player rolls dice so every time they fight an enemy they're actively trying to kill the enemy and then obviously the other big thing about dark souls is the bosses mm -hmm. and like these big memorable bosses that sort of change the gameplay a little bit yeah and so i i wanted the bosses in dice souls to also be big and memorable and to like flip the mechanics on their head a little bit mm -hmm. so bosses have a thing called because in dark souls it's all about learning the boss's moveset right the first time you go to fight a boss, it annihilates you. But the third time you fight it, where you're like, cool, I know exactly, like, it's just pulled back. I know what it's going to do. I know how to avoid this attack. Yeah. And so I built this thing into it called, it's very much a story game, called uh, narrative telegraphing, mm -hmm. where the GM reads a description of what the boss does, and then you narrate what you do in response to it. Yeah. And there is, like, a right or wrong answer yeah. to the responses to what the bosses do. And either you get smashed into the floor or you don't. And you, rather than rolling to hit like you do with normal enemies, you're rolling to avoid with bosses. Yeah. And so the boss fights become a, a game of learning these telegraphed actions and the responses until you get back to them and you know what they're going to do and you can literally just narrate the fight yeah. 
with your your mate who's the GM and you could just describe how you kick the shit out of this enormous boss without rolling any dice. So, uh, kind of an interesting kind of question for that is, so how do you, do, is there necessarily a point sometimes in some of these games where you know it's going to be a, uh, a GM-less game or a kind of uh, like a, 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 I'm about to call it like a duet game because I, I, I like, like the kind of, it makes it sound like, oh, it's, um, yeah. Um, I am supposed to be writing solo play rules for Dice Souls as well, which I've just remembered about. We'll be go. <laughs> Sorry if I've just, I've just, <laughs> just like, okay. oh. <laughs> um, it's one of those things where sometimes you work for a while to figure out what kind of game something's going to be. Yeah. And sometimes you just know. Yeah. Like, like with, with writing, sometimes you know that an idea is a novel or an idea is a short story or yeah. an idea is a poem or whatever. The more you, the more games you read and play, and the more you design, the more like an idea will come to you, and you're like, "Cool, I know that this is a traditional four mm-hmm. players, one GM game," or yeah. like, "I know that this is a collaborative GMless storytelling game." Like, yeah. you just, you just so, know. I don't, I yeah. don't really know. How I guess, I guess, guess, it. guess. So, like, uh, not not to be on the spot, but Sherlock Holmes, Gut Instinct, GMless game. Sherlock Holmes, Gut Instinct, uh, not GMless, possibly a Brindlewood Bay hack. Nice, yeah. Mainly because Brindlewood Bay has the best mechanic for solving mysteries in tabletop games that I've ever encountered, and I want to steal it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I know. I was reading through the Brindlewood Bay rules recently, um, and yeah, it's kind of I, I. I don't know. It, it's I guess because again, so in working so much for five E system and stuff like that and, and writing events and that content, I I do struggle to to give up control <laughs> in that idea of like um, this is this is this is this is the story I'm telling the story and Brindlewood Bay is very much like who knows what the story is going to be. There's there's literally be. every different clue. One week it could yeah. be you know the 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 butler did it or other times it could be some el- eldritch horror. Um, yeah, I love that there's no right answer to it. Yeah, because um, as a, I can't remember what the the GM, the facilitator is called in Brindlewood Bay, um, but you just get to sit back and watch chaos happen, <laughs> and then and then the players will will roll some dice, and you get to go, yeah, you were right, congratulations, you solved it, <laughs> or you get to go, oh no, that's not right, you're gonna need to try again. Yeah. It's really I- satisfying. Yeah, I, I think there definitely is like a. Um, uh, uh, I, I do like the fact that games that allow for more like collaborative storytelling uh, in in like the more kind of ruleless storytelling almost mm. um, kind of still still within the scope of the experience. But you know, in that case of like, tell, tell me what happens, and it's a case of like, oh well, dude, this is yes and improv. <laughs> it's, I like to think of them more as um, I'm definitely more in the camp of like game rules are there to facilitate play rather yeah. than to dictate play if mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah well no i mean like it's another case of like um the, the rule, rule three says have fun and <laughs> yeah. you know it's a, it's a case of like no that, that should be you know it should be should be innate you know if, if a rule yeah, doesn't necessarily like, uh uh facilitate the fun shift shift it's like like we naturally know how to play like children play without rules yeah. all day every day it's only when we get older that we kind of forget how to play and we need to write mm. rule sets to yeah. give us permission I to think, imagine and have fun. I mean, as a child, I think I probably would have appreciated a rule set um, because uh, one of my friends would always have a shield that could block my bullets. <laughs> and I said, That's even cool. though, I, yeah, I was going to say, I had a gun that, that could burst shields. I told him that yeah. I did it and he had a bigger shield. I don't know what it was. 
<laughs> I, there's got to be a game in there somewhere. A game that somehow captures that kind of childhood of like, no, no, I've, I've, I've got a shield. <laughs> Maybe I have to write that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that could be like was it august august game yeah maybe <laughs> so i am hoping to be able to get back to i'm hoping to be able to go full-time games writing in the next like six months and then i can get back to doing monthly games because i really enjoy doing them and it's just the day job that stops me doing that yeah real life real life raise its ugly head and <laughs> goddamn responsibilities god jeez can't can't can i just be like some sort of wood hermit writing rpgs oh. Jeez. That's the dream. So uh speaking about um I was about to say speaking about wood hermits, um <laughs> <laughs> more, speaking about your kind of creative process, um mm. as you're kind of like sitting down and, and creating anything, um what would you say is like your favorite and least favorite part of, of that kind of overall process? <laughs> the flippant answer is my favorite part is the moment when it's done. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um I really love my absolute favorite part is the part in between like how to describe it i guess that initial i'm making notes about what this idea is and turning it into a game like the mm -hmm. initial excitement of an idea yeah is my favorite part and i try and hold on to that for as long as i can throughout a project mm -hmm. which is why i tend to work very quickly because the second that excitement dries up is when it starts to feel like work i suppose you have to maintain that honeymoon period <laughs> yeah um so it's my favorite part of projects is that initial excitement and then finding other things to be excited about while writing it yeah um and i guess my least favorite part is when i can't find that thing to latch onto and i just kind of have to grind it out the bit where yeah. it feels like work is the bit that i like the least <laughs> yeah. i think I, I think it's easy to kind of fall into that because as you're kind of filling out a kind of design sometimes you can kind of leave yourself design challenges to solve mm -hmm. and sometimes that's you know that's part of the process which is kind of fun yes sometimes you've reached a point where everything is solved and it is the case of like okay i've decided to put a, D, a d10 table here no, i've got seven right. ideas yeah. Ooh. <laughs> where, where yeah. do i go from or, or like, you know in worst cases like why did I, why D hundred? Why D hundred? Why, why D hundred? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a real, really good examples of that with my own work is like the hunted. Um, I had the tell a story mechanic <clears throat> and I knew that every time you told a story, um, you were going to define something about the thing that's hunting the player characters and that the GM was going to use that in the final act of the game to actually mm -hmm. make the, the creature or the hunter appear on screen. Yeah. I had no idea how that was going to work. So I wrote the game around that space. And it was like, that was the last bit that I plugged in and I left that design challenge because that made the rest of the writing really easy. Because the whole time I was writing, I was excited to get to this bit that I didn't know the answer for yet. Yeah. And so that project came together like really quickly. Interesting. Yeah. I, I like, I, sometimes I think there is the, 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 like the guidance to be like, don't solve it immediately to try and keep, keep that kind of like that phase going of like, Okay, I know I know it is going to be a problem, and I know it's kind of almost core to the experience, and, yeah. and leaving it to like the last minute to be like, okay, well, let's let's hope it all comes together. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and it worked. Thankfully, it worked really well. Yeah. Whereas, like with Dice Souls, I've solved all the problems, and now mm -hmm. I literally just have to write all the different areas of the game that you're going to explore, and that's fun, but it's not satisfying in the same way. It's, yeah, that's very much like cool. You've got a list of sixty locations. 
write them. Yeah, I, th I think there is like that kind of case of like, particularly with um, like advent again, like supplement or adventure esque mm -hmm. content. It is the case of like you do have to be not prescriptive, but you now know that this is going to be in front of a, a, a GM or a player and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And you kind of need to give them the the most amount of tools. I mean, with some games, it's easier because again, with like Brindlewood Bay, you're just like, okay, well, here's a series of clues and interesting people to meet. Um, other systems, it like you said, it's like Dark Souls. You kind of you need the like expansive, like I don't know, giant, weird, yeah, very tall, gothicy cathedral yeah, thing. Like, you could be lazy and be like, here is a room and it has four skeletons in it, and you could do that sixty times, but yeah. like it's lazy and it's not fun yeah <laughs> so and and especially with games that kind of again because that's that's what you kind of want is you kind of sometimes want there to be like an inherent replayability yes um and you know one way you get around that is is with with uh, uh many different possibilities and yeah i also like i firmly believe that like every time you write something you should write it in such a way that nobody else could have written it like that Interesting. Like should, or everything you write should be uniquely you yeah. or what is the point is one of the ways i think about it so like it would be easy to to put out something that's kind of just like uh yeah okay cool that's dark soulsy yeah. it's kind of generic but why would what who's that for yeah do that no, no. i i'm i think i must be i think i've come to like a similar thing with like again across some of the first stuff that i used to kind of write I and mean, it's a case of like I was just kind of writing for the sake of it. And mm -hmm. um, now um, I don't really, I've, I've, my style of writing has become more attuned to the way I talk. Um, and because I think it was a big thing of like, I don't need to be ultra serious. And, and, and I'm, I'm like, even though, again, you may be kind of presenting like a serious situation or whatever in the game is a fact, but still there's going to be a human on the other side reading these words. And if I can get like a, <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not thinking they're going to be like rolling on the floor, laughing, crying their eyes out. I just go for the little, <laughs> um, yeah. and that, yeah, that's what I go for. Um, I'm fairly sure that's why some of my editors hate me, but that's you know that's 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 their problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Well. No. Fair. So then, looking at kind of across everything that you've kind of done, would you say there's a particular design choice that you have made that you're quite quite fond of or quite proud of? Ooh. I should have an immediate answer to that question. I? <laughs> I don't know. It's, I think it is a tough one. It's like it's like picking picking your favorite child. Yeah. Um, I keep coming back to it, but I'm I'm really really happy. Like I'm really proud of the hunted, and I wish more people were playing it because I think I, it's so weird for me to talk about my own work in a very very crazy no no but, that, it, but it is a case of like you know some like, again the way you kind of phrase it before is like this was a design challenge that you you tackled yeah um and you um, you, you over, overcame i don't know if that's like yeah. yeah and i had a very clear idea of what i wanted that game to be and like often you have a very clear idea of what you want something to be and when it comes out on the page you can be happy with it mm -hmm but it doesn't live up to what you, like, it's not what you expected it to be. Yeah. And The Hunted is exactly the game that I intended to make. Um, it does everything that I wanted it to do. It does it in the way I wanted it to work. Um, I think it looks great as well. Yeah. Um, well, actually, that's one thing I kind of did want to touch on a little bit is that the kind of, the diverse range of, of like 
visuals you kind of have across all, all your kind of publications like that it's all, all of them are kind of beautiful <laughs> and, the, and and they kind of match the like the theme i mean going from like um uh well capturing like the mockbog style of things and some of the, like your uh, pamphlets is that <laughs> Yeah, like, pamphlets, scenes, scenes, yeah, yeah, fair. Uh, yes. Well. <laughs> there you go. That's that's me. Oh, you you there, you kid with <laughs> your pamphlets. <laughs> but but yeah, and and so I is is it a case of like because you handle that all yourself, didn't you? Yes. Um, for better or worse, I do it all <laughs> end to end myself. Um, it's again, it's one of the ways that I keep myself interested in the project. Mm -hmm. Like part of it is you're taking on far too much work. <laughs> Wearing part many of hats. It is being a complete control freak and not being able to let go of something but it also gives me things i can jump between in a project so mm -hmm. like if the writing's not working i can go design a cover and if or i can go and work on some layout or i can write a soundtrack for it or something but um well, I think it is kind of good because, like, particularly in stuff like that, is when when you have a whole like a complete vision for a game and stuff like that, being able to kind of do all these roles. I mean, because again, you have the image in, in your head, and and again, so, as as again, so sometimes my favorite part is when you kind of commission art to kind of mm -hmm. get it back. That kind of matches, but sometimes just being able to do it yourself, you're like this 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 is literally out of my mind. I can I can literally yeah. see it in front of me. Um, Part of the reason I do it all myself as well is that, like, when especially like when I started doing DMs Guild stuff, um, like I couldn't afford to commission art. I couldn't afford to pay someone to do layout, and so I not only punching my microphone, <laughs> um, I had to learn to do that stuff myself. And through learning to do it myself and doing my first handful of projects yeah. that way myself. I it basically became part of my workflow yeah. that I do it myself and so it just became a habit to do it all myself and then it became I guess part of the brand or whatever yeah. so now I'm almost stuck doing it mm -hmm. um but I don't I'm so impulsive with the stuff I work on as well and I work so quickly with a lot of stuff that mm -hmm. there often isn't time to commission art for things yeah um like I've got a few things coming up this year either this year or early next year that I have commissioned art for um, and that art is slowly coming in now. And it's been really hard to learn to work yeah, on a project I, over I, a year, year and a half. I, I think, I think that's the kind of the, 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 the downside of collaborative projects for all, yeah. for all the good they are. Like, again, I, I love them, but I, I don't know if it's a case of like what that I'm I think I'm on like I, I think yeah I can name like five projects that I finished writing and working for probably about about like seven eight months ago mm -hmm. and it's it's the case of like my innate thing of like I've done it I want to throw it out there I want to I want to get in front of people like it you kind you of bounce like I, I, can't, I can't it's not yeah. done <laughs> yeah, like it also didn't help that um so one of the first things that I commissioned artwork for was a book I was working on for the DMs Guild before I kind of took a year off and yeah. stopped doing DMs Guild stuff, um, which was called Shopkeeps of Waterdeep. Ooh. It was when Dungeon of the Mad Mage was coming out mm -hmm. and Waterdeep Dragon Heist. So that's a few years ago now. Uh, and Matt and I wrote this book of like shopkeeps and trinkets and locations within Waterdeep. And I paid an artist for some cover art that I was really excited about. And it was the first time I commissioned artwork. Uh, and then he just disappeared off the face of the planet. <laughs> and obviously, like, you can't let one bad experience no. sour you on the whole thing. But at, at the time, I think I paid him 
$250. And at the Jeez. time, that was a huge amount of money for me. Yeah. Um, and I just, I never really recovered from that. No, I, I, it's, it, it, I, know, I know what you mean. Like, again, even though, like, it's, like, it's, you can't let a bad experience like Sarah, but when it's your first experience, you have no other frame of reference. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I got some internal artwork done for that book and I got the artwork back and it's amazing. It's some of the best artwork I've ever commissioned. Uh, unfortunately, the, the artist, and I'm not going to say who it was, mm. is like persona non grata now. And that happened like quite shortly after I commissioned them. And so I can't use that art for the book either. Yeah. Um, yeah yeah it's, it's, it's a, a real shit show of an experience so i guess i guess what, we're, what, what our lesson for this takeaway is is just like don't work alone and just churn it out just get, <laughs> just don't wait just don't trust other people yeah <laughs> like you know only but trust the artwork the... i've been getting back for the past few like i commissioned artwork for troll king off uh johan who does more Borg. wow uh, and i've commissioned art for my troika book that's coming up and like it's amazing and the experience of working with people has been amazing there you go. um you know law evans don't you yeah 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 law did the logo for the wretched and they did um monsters for scare school which came up out last year i was gonna say and, the, like, the, the, working the, with them has been amazing their work's great so you know, I'm slowly getting back to working with artists again. No, I was going to say the, um, I know that, um, was it, uh, Law did some work with um, with Alex Clippinger mm. and some of... Dog. Yeah, just, I don't know. I, it's, it scares me how, like, the, the monstrosities that Law can <laughs> conjure up. Know. And it's been great, like, watching their work, like, just continue to improve as well. It's yeah. really cool. I love watching friends, like, succeed and become even better at things they're already good at so, i mean that's the thing is you know having having artistic friends is, is always that's the thing if you can make an artistic friend do <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's you know that's kind of like the the capital sat you know get get free work out your friends no but no but, uh, don't do that no don't do that <laughs> don't, geez, ask, ask their rates and 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 and, and then pay them more than that yeah politely yeah decline decline any discounts <laughs> yes <laughs> um but on top, sorry, uh, 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 yeah, sorry. Um, traumatic artistic experiences aside, and you know the the the, um, the more positive ones on the other end of the spectrum. Um, across everything that you've kind of done, would you say there's there's been one particular lesson that maybe you've you wish you could have learned sooner? Um, there's a lesson that I continue saying I've learned, and then <laughs> demonstrate to myself that I haven't learned. Uh, which is to not take on too much stuff at once and yeah. not let myself burn out. And I am getting better and better at managing that. Um, but I still have a habit to say of saying yes to everything and then getting to the time that all the deadlines are due and being like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Um, I think the lesson, the lesson I'm learning at the moment is to be very... I love doing freelance work but I'm learning that it comes at the expense of being able to do your own work. Yeah. And so I'm having to learn now to be very choosy about which projects I say yes to, even when it's like, I've had a few offers recently. It's one of those things where offers always seem to come at once. Yeah. And I've had a few offers from people whose work I really respect on projects that I'm really excited about, would really love to work with them on, where I've had to be like, I just, I don't have time to do this. I'm sorry. Mm. Um, and it sucks to do it. But A, you need to be able to, you can't take on too much because you physically yeah. can't do it all. I think, I think it's kind of, you need to kind of eventually establish uh, boundaries on, on the balance of things. Yeah. Um, um, 
you're no good to anybody, yourself especially included, if you burn yourself out. Yeah. And so you need to give yourself time to do the work that you want to do. And like, if someone wants to work with you and you want to work with them, like at some point it will happen. Uh, it doesn't yeah. have to be right now, you know? I, th I, th I think what's kind of interesting is like, uh, like I, some, uh, I, on, being on the both sides of the, the, the table to like, do you know when you've, you've been like, I've got this really cool idea. I'm going to approach someone and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm really busy. You're like, oh, that's all right. And then you kind of get on with it. But when you're, yeah. you're on the other side being asked to join, you're like, Oh no, I can't. If I say no, they're never yeah. going to ask me again. They're going to hate me. They're going to hate this. No, it's like, and you yeah. know, because you were on the other side, it's like, oh, I'll just wait till they're free next time. And, you know, I'll, I'll ask them further in advance or, you know, what yeah. have you. But exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a case of like, you're just, uh, uh, I think humans are innately hypocritical. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. You only, you only know what's inside your own head. Yeah. And so you always project. Yeah. your own thoughts onto other people i mean even then but i don't think the I, bad ones yeah. <laughs> i was like even then i don't think i fully know what's going on <laughs> like oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's barely it's, functional it's, most of the time yeah it's, it's a crap you. um but no yeah and yeah I, I think it's it is a good amount of like like fomo of like fear of missing out and yeah. and yeah i think although i don't know I, it it definitely sounds like that is um something like that's um I don't want to say an issue, but like it's something that gets easier with time, particularly as you kind of develop yourself more as like a creative. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's just a learning curve and yeah. like learning how to manage your own workload and like just understanding that you, you can't do everything. So you should just do the things that you really want to do. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and, you know, if you, if you obviously sometimes you're in a position where you have to pay bills. Yeah. It, that changes what your priorities are. So it's just a matter of knowing what your priorities are and mm. focusing on them. Yeah. Otherwise, you end up as a wood hermit. <laughs> as a wood hermit, yeah. 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 Which, I mean, you know, that, well, again, I don't want to yuck anyone's yum if they, you know, any wood hermits I, are out there. I would, I would genuinely love to live in a cave in the middle of nowhere with a laptop and a notebook and not be bothered by anybody. It would oh, be geez. my dream existence. Mm. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think I've looked recently, but caves, there are uh, the, 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 the prices are going up in the recent years. I mean, yeah, it's just the inevitable it's... result of the BBC moving north, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You can't get a cave. Yeah, I just can't. You can't you, dude, my parents, they had like three caves by my age. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of talking about like collaborations um, in, in the least smooth segue possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, you kind of um, working kind of with the community as a whole. Um, who, who would you say are like some of the people in the kind of broader tabletop RPG community that like particularly like, you know, inspires you to keep on tracking I, I don't know i lost i lost oh, steam so on my questions um so many people gabe hicks is an absolute powerhouse oh um always just always working on something his work's always good like the man is in demand for very good reason Heck yeah. uh, and i've worked with him on a, a couple of things and like he's an absolute joy to work with um i would love to be as prolific and as successful and as nice a person as Gabe is, oh. um, and just as much of a force for good in every community he touches, he's it, incredible. It's it's not fair when there are uh, people are like trifecta of really talented, really I nice, know. and insanely attractive. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Just... <laughs> um, who else? At the moment, at the moment sounds like it's not always going to be true. Mm. Um, a friend called Spencer Campbell, um, who runs, who publishes games as Gila RPGs 
um he was one of the first people that did a wretched game as the first person i spoke to on oh, fantastic. apart from that um he launched a kickstarter a few months ago for his game that was based on warframe mm-hmm. and he posted it to reddit to the warframe community and like he ended up having to cancel the Kickstarter within about six hours of launching it because he got so much abuse off the Warframe community. Jeez. And I think that would have ended me. I think I would have just been done. Um, but he's now, he's kind of reworked that game into something else called Nova. And he's launched that on Kickstarter and it's like doing numbers. It's Jeez. doing really well. I mean, and like, I have so much respect for his ability to, A, he's a very nice man. B, he's a very good game designer. Mm-hmm. And see, like, I couldn't have picked myself up from like being an iron will and resolve. Yeah. Like, I have so much respect for that tenacity and that, like, fuck you, I'm doing it anyway attitude. Yeah, um, yeah go and support Nova on Kickstarter. It's probably done by the time this goes out. Yeah, I, I think, but either way, yeah, we could, we could, we could throw a link. I mean, was it with Kickstarter now? It's even the case of, like, with, was it back a kit and stuff like that? Like, even yeah, if you miss the campaign, the it's never too late to hop in. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, huge, huge respect for Spencer for, for being able to get past that because Jesus Christ, that was horrible. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine that. I mean, thankfully, touch, touch wood, I've not been on you know any kind of receiving end. Um, yeah, I that happened and I was like, shit, I'm writing a game based on Dark Souls. What if the Dark Souls fans come after me? But I don't. I just block them. I just block yeah. Them. No, I, 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 yeah. I must admit, I, I, I don't, I, I don't want to make any assumptions. But I, I, the Dark Souls community as a whole, it seems like there's, there's, you know, there's probably a good number of good eggs. Right. I'm just, I think the lesson I've learned from what Spencer had to go through was don't go near Reddit. Yeah, I, I think, I think there is, there is, there is definitely like, um, with, with, I don't know, fandoms. They're just insidious sides, yeah. um, and and they rear their ugly head when when people fandoms people... were a mistake. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I think we can all agree. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but not fandoms of this podcast, you guys. Not you guys are. Yeah. yeah. Um, but until you reach a, like a was it um a, a a cultivated mass, at which point you will yeah. be become problematic. At which point you will be a, have been a mistake. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, yeah. So Chris, I'm going to need you to to hold me on the straight and narrow. If I if I you know if, if one I ever get a fandom, and if two they ever border on, um, I'm going to need you to to cut the cord. And yeah, I'll, sure. I'll just yeah. that's when I'll, I'll become I'll, I'll, that because I will forget. No, so I'll, uh, I'll I'll literally I'll sell everything. I'll go buy a cave or try to. I'll try probably to. only be able to rent a cave. <laughs> God. <that's laughs> <laughs> but um chris uh we've, with uh cave renting aside um we've, we've done it the hour the hour has passed we've done it we've done it yeah um but before leaving uh, i'm kind of interested to kind of hear about uh well one what is some of the stuff you're currently working on <laughs> and two probably for the people listening more importantly uh where's some of the uh the places that they can stay up to date with your comings and goings yeah <laughs> um so by the time this goes out, I will hopefully have released Dice Souls, Ooh. which means I don't really know what I'll be working on. Um, I have got another Kickstarter coming up this year for a Troika solo adventure game book, Ooh. very much inspired by fighting fantasy books. Nice. Um, so that's going to be happening. That's called Down in Yongadi. <laughs> and there might be a Kickstarter pre-launch page for that by the time this goes out. Yeah, I mean... You know? If well, like I said, it'll be the case of like everyone check the description and what yeah. mysteries await you. Who knows? Yes, 
Um, but if you follow me on Twitter at Pangalactic, like the drink from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That's where um, that's from. That's where that's from. Uh, I am very online. And <laughs> so I'm painfully online. <laughs> painfully online. Even at the weekend when I was like, I'm taking the weekend off from social media, yeah. I still scheduled tweets. I mean, that's scheduling, that's fine. That's, you know, that's, that's your, like, um, that's your autopilot. <laughs> yeah, I often find myself being like, I'm going to take the day off from Twitter, and then I just scroll it, but I don't interact with anything. And I'm like, this isn't taking a day off. <laughs> this is just lurking. <laughs> this is unhealthy. But it, I have an unhealthy relationship with Twitter, therefore you can find me <laughs> and the things that I'm working on on Twitter. <laughs> is this where your fandom to, to Twitter, is this where I need to cut your cord? <laughs> Possibly. Yeah, someone just needs to take my phone away. <laughs> well, well, um, Chris, this is no, this has been a delight. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to, to have this chat. It's been, it's, we've been all over the place, but I think it's, it's been, been yeah, it's this been has been a typically insightful. all over the place Christmas Air podcast. There you go. That's, <laughs> this is what you get when you ask me to come on your <laughs> And I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, so I've been Matthew Whitby. You can find me at, at Whitby Writes. Um, I have some things coming out, maybe. I, I think, th again, the last seven weeks, I think I've said that. Because I honestly, I don't know when anything's coming out anymore. <laughs> it's, it's, I've lost all control of my life. Maybe I have some things. Who knows? If 2020 taught us anything, it's that time is meaningless. Time is meaningless. Um, so, you know what? Shame on you for expecting anything wrong from, from me. <laughs> the people listening. You'll get, you'll get what, what you deserve. You know, There is um, a pandemic happening, people. Have yeah, some patience. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, my very last question for this, this podcast, um, Chris, um, mm. how, how, how do we end it? Just silence, I think. <laughs>